0: Me a donut welcome to twin peaks to introduce this story let me just say it encompasses the all it is beyond the fire though few would know that meaning it is a story of many but it begins with one and i knew her the one leading to the many ...is Laura Palmer. Laura is the one. She's dead. Yes,
1: darling. Yeah, mean. Are
0: you Laura Palmer?
1: She's doing really delicious. Donna, she was a different person. I'm telling you, there were things she was involved with. Things she let herself get pulled into.
0: If you
1: can fucking drive the party steps right now,
0: it's kind of like a nightmare. Oh my god! Oh my god! No, like it's not you. It's not you. It's not you. Ah, Sarah, what is it? Is Laura right with you? No. Why? She didn't go with you this morning. No. What, honey? What's wrong? She'd been murdered.
1: Majestic trees, have you got growing around here, big, majestic Douglas firs. Douglas
0: firs. There's over ten thousand dollars here. It's a lot of Girl Scout cookies.
1: Ed, you waiting for those drapes to hang themselves?
0: Diane, I'm holding in my hand a small box of chocolate bunnies. Doctor Lawrence Jacoby, Agent Cooper, and Laura was uh, the patient of mine. My air sacs have never felt so good. Loose blue second only so I remind you that these crimes occurred at night. That some time has passed, like the full blossom of the evening. Oh. Welcome to the killer's lair. His name. Come down. I won't hurt you. what if I see you first <laughs> inside? Like that, Mr. Monkey Wrench! And we're back, everybody. Chopping Wood Inside Podcast 2020. Happy Twin Peaks Day, Tom. Yes, happy Twin Peaks Day, February 24th. But did it even happen? After the (laughs) retcon? We're still here.
1: (laughs) Will we ever leave? (laughs) Great to see on Twitter today, Twin Peaks trending.
0: Did you happen to see Kyle McLaughlin's tweet? Uh, I was working today, so I, but I saw he was on like a treadmaster or something like that. He was talking about uh, telling me about it.
1: I didn't see it. He uh, did uh, uh, a tick. I think it was a TikTok, uh, which you're familiar with. Your daughter does many, many little TikToks.
0: Oh yeah. And
1: I think he was uh, uh, riding a stationary bike, but he was dressed in the Cooper garb, the suit, and he had in the background just like these painted trees, like he was driving into Twin Peaks. And he had the Dictaphone, and he...
0: I wonder if he was wearing any pants underneath that shot. Was he uh, in the full garb? Maybe like 30 years from now, he'll be like on a walker and be repeating it It as AJJD, perhaps. Well, I thought it was very
1: creative, him doing that um, kind of a lo-fi version, and the fans just gobbled it up. I think it was fantastic. And uh, it's good to see him with the gray hair, the little gray hair, the aged Cooper. Yes. Um, I I loved it. I thought it was a great... tribute to the fans. And then Mark Frost also tweeted, um, keep
0: dreaming, whatever that means. Well, yeah, his book is out. Keep dreaming to buy his book, I think, right? <laughs> Everyone wants clues. Well, season four happened. Did we uh, discern anything from that book? Did you read it Read it yet? It's not out yet. Oh. When's it out? I think March. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: We were going to discuss Inland Empire tonight, but... I discovered too late that Inland Empire is not streaming anywhere and neither of us own the DVD so I would have had to purchase the DVD and it's a a movie that I want to watch a couple of times before we discuss it so we had to come up with something else and I thought since we did part 17 last time Series Rewind with the retcon the way that uh, particular part ended what better? Uh, Episode to discuss next, then the pilot, which we have never really discussed before. We have never gone into the first two seasons with any depth whatsoever, so we're going to do the pilot tonight.
0: Yeah, and I think when I first watched it 25 years ago, or however many years it's been, uh, I never actually just watched the standalone pilot and let it steep in my mind. I watched, I had a whole, the whole first season to watch, and so I binged it, even back in 1990. So it'll be interesting to see this as a standalone product. And uh, we also are going to talk about the international ending, right? Right. Which I think uh, really added to the finale, if you want to put this as a standalone piece. Right. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited. (laughs)
1: Let's go. Well, one thing I forgot, we were talking about um, our history. We've talked about it a couple of times. But one part that we neglected to talk about, which uh, I forgot which was happening simultaneously with Twin Peaks airing, was that you and I were both working at a movie theater, the Six Flags Movie Theater in Arlington, Texas, in the spring of 1990. And I know I was working several days a week and on the weekends. I don't know if you were. I think I only worked there for six weeks. I know, but were you working, like, during, like after school or just on the weekends? No,
0: just a couple of days a week, I think, on the weekends. I never worked during the week. I had my studies to work on.
1: Well, I had my studies to work on, Let's too. Try to Harvard, I, I trying to get to
0: Harvard, Tom. I trying to get to Harvard.
1: I had to. I had to work during the week, and I remember because you weren't there, but it was, looking back, because I remember some of the movies, like, I remember House Party and- uh, Pretty, short, woman? Which,
0: which, Pretty Woman. Which-
1: Pretty Pretty Woman.
0: Pretty Woman was yeah. the the
1: big one, and then Driving Miss Daisy. Yes, and uh, there was a Rucker Howard movie called Blind Fury, and then there was remember Vital Signs.
0: Yeah, Rescue Me at the, on the end. <laughs> I used to come in and dance when I cleaned up the popcorn. It's a great song. Good times. Yeah, and I don't think I really even watched the the first season until the fall, right? I think I, we didn't watch it in the spring when it was on. It took me till the fall to actually watch it before season two started. Right before season two is when we finally got into it.
1: Right, we got the tapes from. Uh, a friend of yours. Sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, Thank God. Uh, we both binged it. But we had bought the soundtrack, I think, in early September. And then we binged it in, I think, mid-September. And then the second season premiere was, I think, September
0: 30th. I think on those VH tips, also, episode four, the funeral, was left out. And so we didn't see episode four for a long time until maybe you bought the tapes. No. So we were surprised to finally see it.
1: That's that's not entirely true. I mean, it's true that we did not see, it was episode three, it was the funeral episode. That was for some reason we didn't have that tape or uh, your friend hadn't taped that one. We had another friend, Michael, who had that particular episode, but we didn't start hanging out with him until I think a little bit later in uh, um, uh, our school year. So I don't think we saw that one until maybe even after Leland's the reveal of, of Leland as the killer. It 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 was. It took a while for us to actually see that episode.
0: Was it the one right after the Red Room when he had the dream? Yes. yes. So there wasn't that much that happened other than he forgot the dream. And then there was the funeral. Well,
1: there's all kinds of things. But one thing specifically in that particular episode was the introduction of Maddie. She showed up for Laura's funeral. And it made me think about Cooper's dream because he had um he had the dream the night before and one of the uh, the clues or one of the uh, lines that the man from another place says she's my cousin and you would think cooper discovering that laura palmer's cousin shows up to twin peaks that next day would be a clue would be a, a clue and it is a clue because a lot of those clues are related to leland and he even knows that she has a vision of bob because there's that scene in the second season where he has the chalkboard and he has Sarah's name, Renette, and Maddie, and Bob's uh, picture in the middle, and say like they've all seen Bob. So he knew of Maddie. But he didn't exactly
0: investigate her. That was also bad presence. police work on her end on his end. I think he could have brought her in for questioning immediately. I agree. Yeah. I agree. He dropped the ball again. <laughs> <laughs> True love's flame. Burn.
1: The Lynch short,
0: What Did Jack Do, appeared on Netflix. Oh yeah, I tried to get my daughter to watch it, she would have no business, she said no. <laughs> Why is he talking to a monkey? I said that's what he does, you gotta get into it. Well, what what did, did you think? I loved it, I thought it was great. We watched that before The Irishman, is that right? And uh, it was great, it was the best part of the night. And I thought it was wonderful, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, I love the monkey. I love the whole thing. He's great, uh, fantastic. It made me feel happy. A lot of joy.
1: I thought it was extremely funny. I, I, I wouldn't deconstruct it or read too much into it. I think it was probably just uh, an idea that he had. Maybe he was feeling creative at that particular moment. He had that song, I think Flame of Love, and he has an affinity for monkeys. So uh, I get a Wrangler, put him in a suit, and go to town and i think lynch himself was the one who was actually voicing jack cruz which was the name of the monkey but uh i love the cinematography i love it being at a train station i love the little bit of his wife showing up as the waitress dropping the coffee and just all the non-sequiturs i mean i was laughing throughout i thought it was extremely funny and i love when lynch does comedy he's never done a full-fledged comedy before we get moments of comedies in most of his
0: features. Uh, but you have to go to some of his shorter films. You know, it would have been funny, would have been in the uh, outtakes, whenever the monkey started moving, because like, I think like him changed that, damn that monkey, get him! get Wrangle the monkey! That probably <laughs> happened a lot, right? Or they shot him up for a Thorazine, perhaps? Or how did they keep him oh, caught? I think that would be inhumane. Yeah. Well, how did they do it? The monkey's running around. It's He's very old monkey. Brain. He's got probably a ran- very old monkey. I think yeah. it's the same monkey from uh, Friends. They probably just redid the same shots over and over again, right? They probably used like five minutes of the actual monkey and then just kind of moved it around and so they didn't have to keep him captive and... Him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to know. Did he uh, the the new thing that David Lynch is talking about casting is that the monkey feature film, did Jack? Jack uh, oh, you think that's yeah. The, is that the, it? the yeah? Because there's I'm all right. kinds
1: of rumors yeah. going around that uh, Lynch is in pre-production. There was some casting notice on uh, some, I think, nude celebrity site that he was looking for a lead who would do tasteful nudity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's other rumors that Twin Peaks is. Uh, percolating maybe in pre-production which I think is absurd I don't think, uh, I don't think that's true at all I, I would hope it would be but uh, um, there's I think something in the air but my, my guess would be that it would be a Lynch uh, project that is independent of Twin Peaks
0: Well, everyone was very excited about the the rumors at the end of the year that maybe something was happening. You saw Michael Horst doing the shh and all that jazz. Right. And we were talking about our percentage of uh, level of hope. And you thought, like, at some point, 50% or maybe even higher than that. Do you think it's back down to, like, 8% or uh, at least in the near future, like, before we turn 50 ourselves? I still think Twin Peaks will return at some point. I mean, it could be years
1: and years away. Um, But imminently, I think that it would be around 10 to 15%.
0: In the next five years? and we going to keep doing years. this podcast until then?
1: No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Unless we string out the original series for like
0: three years. Every episode? Yeah. We could give a shout out to Matthew Lillard. He was talking about how he didn't think that his uh, career was worth uh, remembering online. He had 100,000 people liking him and saying that it was. And I think he uh, had a great from Scream to uh, Shaggy to This to The Return. A fantastic actor. I'd like to give him a shout out. People say I look like him, too, so I want to give him another shout-out. Very <laughs> handsome man.
1: Yeah. We were at a Mexican restaurant in L.A., and someone came up to you, and I don't know if they asked you for an autograph, but they
0: asked you if you were Matthew Lillard. Yeah, I was in San Francisco a few years ago, too, and I was at a bar or a club, and someone was like, I just saw a guy just look just look, just like you on this moot uh, new Netflix show, or whatever it was, and I wondered what it was. I looked it up. It was him, of course. <laughs> a little let down. Yeah. He's just like he'll never break the Shaggy uh, stereotype. I'll never break the Lillard stereotype, or the Willem Dafoe. I'm actually good. I'm, I'm pleased with Willem now. I think that's good as I get older. He's a handsome man. We yeah. saw Lighthouse recently. Oh as well. yeah, great. That was also very Lynchian. There was all kinds of Lynchian elements. We love that movie. That was yes. really good.
1: That was that was one of my favorite. Parasite was still, and I'm glad that won Best Picture. But the Lighthouse is right up there. I thought it was fantastic, and uh, I think Willem is robbed for a nomination. But I'm glad that he's still. Uh, working and getting these plum roles, he was fantastic so it was robert pattinson I they were both great and the filmmaker i think his name is robert eggers um very talented cinematography the sound design the performances the story um highly recommended
0: yeah i think it was great and maybe uh, i'd love to see Willem dafoe, Willem dafoe in season four if, if it ever comes Ooh, back that'd be, nice, be great
1: you? that would be great yeah
0: all right, so you want to start this up? You're gonna if you want to follow along with us, we're gonna play the pilot as we we talk here and uh, see how it goes. Yeah, but we're not gonna do a straight like no. uh, uh, is two hours long as well. Are we gonna go two hours? <laughs> no, that's, I don't know. Yeah. It's
1: uh, 96 minutes, but yeah. then if you it's add the international yeah. pilot, it's another 20 minutes. So it is like two hours.
0: Oh, all right. Well, we'll see how long it goes. <laughs> a little chilly outside, but we can handle it.
1: Yeah, we're still outside. And it's cold.
0: No crickets, and it's a little chilly. And there's a highway that's a couple of miles away, but we're picking up some uh, yeah some sounds, sounds. So uh, forgive us, but we'll do the best we can. Here we are at the beginning, at the, uh, at the sawmill, and a very familiar beginning. It's Lovely. the
1: credit sequence, yeah. and this credit sequence is different than any credit sequence in the series. It's a little, uh, uh, it's longer, more shots, and it evokes the credit sequence of the first part of season three, which was different than any other credit sequence uh in subsequent parts there's a great story um about the shot at the end of the credits sequence when the camera's panning over the water and the cinematographer ron garcia was uh uh, shooting it and lynch kept telling him to go slower slower and at some point garcia was barely moving The pan And Lynch was still saying, like, slower, slower. And he finally got it at some point. But it really does set up uh, this pilot. We were talking about this last night after we both watched it. We hadn't seen it in a while. And one of your first comments was of how uh, the pace of it is very glacial.
0: Especially now compared to television of today. I think it would be, uh, you know, people always talk about you have to watch two or three episodes of a modern show to get into it. And I always suggest shows to you. When I say you gotta go to three or four episodes, you'll screw that. I gotta, I gotta be hooked on the first episode and I wonder if uh, younger audiences can get through this pilot because you really got to get to episode three or the one with the, the dancing the Red Room to really I feel you feel the hook. Yeah, but you felt the hook in 1990 when you saw it. No because but I had the whole series so I kept going and I knew it was good. I had a girlfriend at the time I had to watch it for her and uh, I'm not sure the first one but I was like, holy shit like here we go. I was like, this is interesting. But, uh, yeah, it also, it feels like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it was 30 years, like, it feels it's been 30 years since this, uh, it feels like the pacing is, like, from the 50s, like, you know, in the 80s, big shots, so it's almost like uh, a travel back in time, like a Douglas Sirk movie or something, with the way it's paced.
1: Well, it is, it's deliberately it's paced. Melodrama, yeah. This is a setup. Yeah. Now, they didn't know that they were going to have a pickup when they uh, wrote this, or even shot it, but... This is the story, obviously, that they wanted to tell, and I think that this is pretty much, I would say, a, a point in Lynch's uh, directorial career after this that I think he evolved to, a, uh, a, 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 I would say, a different level, but I think that his filmmaking itself, the way that he looked at composition, mise-en-scene, uh, even storytelling, really changed after the pilot, and, and maybe Wild at Heart had something to do with it. Wild at Heart was a very, uh, I wouldn't say it was frenetically paced, but compared to his previous features, um, especially with the editing, um, going backwards and forwards, we're kind of like non-linear, telling stories upon stories, very and discrete term of the bourgeoisie. Um, but this pilot evokes Blue Velvet in the sense that we have a uh, rural setting that Blue Velvet was more suburban, and we have a, a, a core mystery, and it's getting at the the underbelly of the the, the the below the surface, and finding out the secrets of the the characters of this town. And you could really say that this really is Blue Velvet in the Pacific Northwest, and maybe even Cooper himself is a Jeffrey Beaumont gone to the FBI. But I think that the impetus for this show was the upbringing of both Frost and Lynch. You grew up in similar settings and uh, Frost was told by his maternal grandmother, the Hazel Drew story, which was a, this 20 year old governess who was murdered in upstate New York and her body was found, I think, on a you know, a, a, a lake shore. And also their collaboration on the story Goddess about Marilyn Monroe, and Lynch's fascination with uh, Marilyn Monroe. I think you add all those ingredients together um, the personal history stories they've told and their their, their love or the lore of Hollywood that they're, they're into and all those ingredients come together for
0: Twin Peaks. Yeah, I noticed watching this again that uh, when we first see Jacoby in the hospital he's talking about uh, catching a fish and presumably this lake that we're seeing here and that the fish started talking to him and I was wondering <laughs> if Pete Martell was out there f- fishing looking for a talking fish and were there magical fish in the Twin Peaks lake?
1: Well, you know, Lynch talks about catching the, the fish, you know, that's how his, you know, he equates ideas is, you know, fishing and catching ideas by uh, going below the surface. But the first image that we see in the pilot is Josie Packard, who is a, a minor character in the pilot. Uh, I wouldn't say a minor character in the series, but um, a very mysterious opening shot, really setting up the duality theme with the mirror and also the theme of uh, dysfunctional relationships with Pete and Catherine. You can pretty much get right off the bat um, that their relationship is a little icy with how he uh, says, gone fishing, and she doesn't even say anything, and he gives her the old kiss. This whole pilot is setting up the mystery of Laura Palmer, which was going to be in the foreground of the series and eventually recede. I think that was the ultimate plan until you know, uh, forces uh, conspired against them, creative forces uh, at ABC to solve the murder. So when you're saying that this is a, a glacially paced, you're saying that this is glacially paced, I think it's intentional. I think it it's something about Lynch when he goes slow, that it's not boring in my opinion. It's like he finds little individual moments that uh, somehow resonate uh, with the audience. And it's different than what anyone had seen at that particular point. I think it was so fresh and so new. It wasn't because it was slam bang and fast and and crazy and sexy and violent because there's not there's not much sex in this in the show. There's no real violence. It's all mood. And I think having the fortune of the Pacific Northwest winter being so gray and gloomy with almost no moments of sunlight really helped to reinforce that mood of dread in this small Pacific Northwestern town
0: yeah I wonder how far it was that Leland uh, set uh, Laura's body adrift in the lake because it couldn't have been very long because she looks beautiful like she's like she's barely been in the water she hasn't in- ingested any water she doesn't look like she's damaged at all she's the most beautiful looking corpse I've ever seen what if it was like just like 50 feet down the ar- down the way he pushed it off and like eight yards later it pushes right back in because <laughs> you're literally well. next door to the Packard house
1: well, I think it's kind of a, a, a fetishizing of, of that corpse. The Lynch was very specific. He, you know, We know how hands-on he is directing, that he was in, putting individual pebbles on Cheryl Lee's face during that iconic moment when her uh, a corpse is revealed. Her hair I never think... looked
0: this good. Her hair looked all, never this good. This is one shot right here. Yeah. <laughs> no wig. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic.
1: I think it was very deliberate. I don't think Lynch was going for realism of a bloated corpse. I think he wanted to create... This, this 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 body in death is it's even beautiful in death, and we're seeing the effects just from the very beginning. And something that uh, isn't uh, necessarily uh, true in Lynch's features prior to this. Is the real depth of emotion with the characters and how they feel about this murder, and you know it starts off with Andy, and it's done for a little bit of comic relief, I think. You know the the crying deputy, but. People feel it throughout this, the the this, this these two hours, the impact of Laura Palmer's death, and it it almost I think uh, resonates with each individual, and it makes them reflect on their own relationships. The one exception I think is Bobby. Bobby is one of the only characters in this pilot who isn't really truly affected by Laura's murder. It's more selfish. He's more intent on. Going after James and finding James, like uh, how dare Laura, you know, cheat on him and go with James? He's gonna, you know, he's gonna smash James's head. When the irony is, is that he was having an affair with Shelley Johnson.
0: Yeah, and here we are. Uh, they're calling the Briggs household, and uh, Judy Briggs is picking up the phone. And if anyone eagle-eyed looks to the left, it looks like there's a, uh, a woodsman Jesus, little baby Jesus, right there. If you look right there, Tom, see that? Oh what's, yeah, what's going on there? That? It's a yeah. little woodsman Jesus, got a little hat on. I was wondering what the hell's going on there. Oh, a interesting. About? You know who
1: did the? Well, I don't know if he did the props, but the set dec- uh, decorator was Frank Silva.
0: No wonder. Okay, so I'm saying he did a great <laughs> job. I was gonna see all kinds of little yeah. tidbits here that tie in. And also, it was a very interesting uh, look on uh, Major Briggs's face. He looked very concerned. He was kind of like when the phone rang. He already knew something was happening. Well, that's he ironic. Felt something, yeah. Because I
1: wanted to mention later on when they pick up Bobby after he's interrogated by Cooper. Hey, suddenly an idiot. What's happening? I don't know know what the I have no idea what's going on here, and I I, I laughed out loud when I watched that. I, I remembered it, but watching it again, Major Briggs, as we know from subsequent seasons is omniscient. He knows everything. Yeah. He's been you know, time traveling and planning clues and he's uh, in uh, Confederacy with the fireman slash giant. So that line was, you know, hyster- of course, Lynch and Frost do not know where this story is going to go when when they, uh, I mean, they had some ideas, obviously, but they could never foresee where it would go. But I found that very curious. Also, did you say Judy
0: Briggs? Uh, what's her name? Yeah, Betty, Betty Briggs. Yeah, yeah sorry. Betty, <laughs> also, I wanted, to, I wanted to make one note then also when Snake, they called the, the, the coach. And you see Snake in the background. He's getting taking off his uniform, but he puts his letter jacket on before he takes off his football pants. I was wondering, was it chilly inside the locker room? Who does that? Well, why are they it's doing having football practice in February? Yeah, what's going on here? And why was the fan on inside the Sarah Palmer household if it's winter? <laughs> what the hell's going on here? <laughs> well, okay, so I want to talk about
1: the Sarah Palmer scene because we have three iconic moments. I mean, this pilot has numerous iconic moments. The iconography in in this 96 minutes is just like off the charts i mean we start off with laura's image first and foremost but even in the sarah palmer scene we have um the classic shot of the stairway the staircase which is used repeatedly by lynch to create this ominous uh feeling and oh of course we also have her saying laura now that's just normal she's you know, calling out to Laura, but that is the line that Lynch uses repeatedly with the slow down, warble, that he uses the last line in season three. And we also have the shot, which you mentioned of the ceiling fan. So you have the electricity, you have the Laura, you have the stairwell. Now all in the scene of the mother uh, concern about her daughter, but it's setting up this mood. We already know that she's dead as an audience, but Sarah almost instinctively, I think knows that something is wrong. And I think, it's because of what's been going on in the house, I yes. think that you know she she is known through the events of the series in Fire Walk with Me and season three of what had been happening. So it didn't take her too long to set her off to think that something bad might might have happened to Laura.
0: Yeah, they're talking about the Norwegians here. So, uh, no wonder in the retcon did the Norwegian sign.
1: <laughs> I, I hope not because I would love I love the Icelanders and I love the line hepa hepa Jerry being in love with the. Uh, uh, the uh, the blonde ice, uh, Icelandic woman
0: well they were talking about also like that they were worried about the air like and they said their air sacs are very strong here but oh, the Icelandic ones are the ones that are above the tree line I was yes. wondering but if they're above the tree line they would be in a higher altitude right and so they'd have a better breathing yes that sense. Now
1: do you think when Lynch and Frost were writing uh, the the, uh, the pilot and then even shooting it now of course they had to discuss you would think subsequent, Maybe episodes or ideas of where the story would, would lead if they did get picked up. Just like if, you know, with season three, you would think that they may have discussed future storylines. But do you think that they knew right off the bat that Leland was the killer? That they knew, they
0: pinned the killer immediately on Leland? No. I don't think so. I don't think that they knew because looking at Ray Wise's performance, he looks like he's absolutely gobsmacked and just uh, like he's just a regular guy. I don't think he had any clue. Even as an actor, he would think he would be doing something to show that he had just murdered his daughter. Little tweaks in his eye, like he does some good eye twitches going on in season two, and there was nothing here. Like I saw nothing on his face. Total poker face.
1: Well, I don't think that they would have communicated to Ray Wise for his performance that okay, you are the killer because we know that's not true. He didn't know until. Right before he was going to shoot the the episode of, in season two, but I'm asking, do you think Lynch and Frost knew that they wanted to pin the murder on Laura's fa- father, and that somehow, I would say subconsciously, but subliminally, there are some shots in here where you can maybe infer that that might be the trace, uh, that might be the case. I'm thinking specifically about when Hawk is in Laura's room and he picks up her diary. Leland's like, "Do you do you
0: have, do you to, have take to take that?" that? Yeah. Yeah, I like that line. Uh, yeah, well, I remember my mom, God rest her soul, She, the, when she watched this, she was like, I knew it was her daddy. It was all, it's always her daddy. Really? Yeah, She's like, I knew it was going to be her daddy. Wow. It's either Bobby or her daddy. Like, usually it's one of those two, right? Occam's razor.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this scene of uh, at the Great Northern with the uh, Norwegians and Ben Horn, I loved how he, he spit into the fire uh, just to... I don't know if that was ad-libbed or not, but uh, just little touches that add to the character, Um, but still so powerful when Leland gets summoned to take the phone call from Sarah and Sheriff Truman shows up, you hear the car in the background, you see the car in the background, and then he goes up to the concierge, watching it again, still so extremely powerful. And I know I've read uh, uh, some reviews from... uh, people who are relatively new to the world are watching Twin Peaks for the first time, I think they find Sarah's characterization, her grief, um, I think they find that a little off. I think maybe they find it a little too over the top. I think it would best be described as, as, as Lynchian. Grace Sibriskie is a, a tremendous actress, but her grief and her shrieking and the cigarette and the, the shot of the phone, the cord, the long kind of track on the cord to her ultimately screaming again, just the mood of that, setting it up. What is happening? We're just, we've just discovered a body and we're introducing several characters. We don't know exactly what's going on, but the mood, the feeling, the emotion is really powerful. And I think that that's, it's very different. And I think that's what resonated with me when I saw this, it was like, I had seen procedurals before, now uh, this isn't the FBI procedural quite yet because Cooper hasn't showed up, but you can see, you know, even as a, as a teenager, the familiar tropes, a dead body is discovered, you know, they, they go, they let the parents know, and but this was done so differently, and that was the, and I hadn't seen that before, and that's why it still resonates, and that's I think, why it resonates with the fans 30 years later, is because, of the scenes of like Sarah, shots of the ceiling fan, the fetishized corpse, the spitting in the fire all this, it's, it doesn't it's not. the tone isn't consistent it's it's, it's real but yes, yet it's unreal it is lynching.
0: Yeah, here we are, the double R2 I think perhaps that uh, Bobby was flirting with Norma in order to throw out the scent off with uh, Shelley. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, I don't know,
1: it's a good question, I think that there might have been some flirtation there, my question is Is the double
0: R open 24 hours in Twin Peaks? Uh, I guess so. Is the regular double R open 24 hours? No, it closes at, like, 9. Who does the overnight shift? Because Norma's got to go home. I think it's
1: Shelly because she is going home. Here it is early in the morning. Bobby says, I'm going to take you home. And I think that she was working the night shift. And she even says later on to Leo when he's questioning her about the multiple cigarettes in the ashtray... That uh, Shelley's like, hey, you know, me and Norma pick up different packs from
0: the diner all the time. I never saw Norma smoke in Twin Peaks. So that means Shelley and Bobby probably hooked up in the diner at 4 o'clock in the morning. It's the perfect place to do it. And under the guise, no one can see it. <laughs> No one's coming in. It's but to- one
1: thing to say about Bobby and Shelly, and this was that scene in the diner. And I think outside when they go to their car, that was the very first scene that was shot for the pilot. And immediately, the chemistry between the two is off the charts. I've always felt that I think that they have great chemistry you you get a sense of watching this that they are they have a genuine uh, romance going on but their relationship is really cemented in just a couple of minutes and you can sense that the secret relationships that are happening in Twin Peaks there's four of them that we see just in the pilot we have Shelley and Bobby we have Big Ed and Norma we have James and Laura and then we have Ben and Catherine that very, I think it's one of the final shots where Catherine is talking to Ben on the phone. We don't know who she's talking to, but then you cut to Ben. So you're getting these secret relationships. It's all the setup and it's tying into the Laura Palmer mystery and how all these characters relate to Laura. And everyone is a suspect. Even Harry could be perceived as a suspect because the first time that he, when he gets the call from Pete, he doesn't, Pete goes, she's dead, wrapped in plastic. What does Harry say? No he idea.
0: says, "Where? Don't you think he should have said who?" Well, they haven't looked yet, so he just said, "Yeah." How did you know it was a she? She's dead, wrapped in plastic. He didn't open he didn't open the, he didn't open the, the plastic. How did you know it was she? Look at the painted toenails.
1: No, when when a Pete <laughs> when Pete uh, went up to the, the the shore there, he saw her hair. He mm. Can tell that it was a woman, but it
0: could have been a long haired hippie. <laughs>
1: You mean Rusty from uh, yeah, it season been rusty. two? Yeah, could
0: have been Rusty. <laughs> you promised me beer, man. Yeah, I think it could have been especially with all of his drinking, Rusty, could have been the one.
1: Well, that was another thing I wanted to mention was the line, that she's dead wrapped in plastic. I think having Jack Nance, the old Lynch stalwart, play that role, Pete Martel, say that line in that way is, I mean, it's iconic. I think in, in itself, that line itself is iconic, but the line reading, it's, it's different. It's just the way, like... Those words, she's dead, wrapped in plastic, we have a corpse, we have a potential murder, it just creates that special, unique mood. And what I'm trying to get at here is that this is the impetus for a creative empire that is still going strong 30 years later. And I think the reason why Lynch loves the pilot so much is because it's all there. It's all there except for the supernatural. No supernatural unless you you want to uh you know equate the uh the international pilot with the red room
0: or a supernatural force was causing that guy to, to break dance and moonwalk in a class perhaps. Who was that guy? He should have come back. <laughs> Didn't you say that was an improv? I think he I think people have tried to find
1: him and I think I've read somewhere that that was improv but what a great shot him doing that little little break dance moonwalk thing and then he disappears in the classroom, and then you see Hawk and Andy in the distance walk by with the Bookhouse Boys theme, the the guitar twang, uh, just brilliant. There's so many iconic moments in these uh, 96 minutes here.
0: Uh, the false bravado of Bobby when he walks in, like he's like, "What? Me worry? I would have been really worried. He murdered a guy already. Like, he just had the whole uh, final last night with Laura. I'd have been tripped out. I wouldn't well, be. So he doesn't confident. know yet. I know, but still, right? I'd be right. worried. He Don't just killed think- a guy. He Don't killed you? a man. The cops are there. He just killed a man. He wasn't worried. I'll be worried.
1: Don't you think that Mike, Snake, is more menacing than
0: Bobby in the pilot? Yeah, Bobby's performance is a little bit uh, over the top and on the nose, a little bit superficial. But there's something something below Snake's eyes where he looked like the real bad guy. He looked like he might have been the leader. Perhaps, yeah. And I, I liked you know his moment with Ed later on
1: where he's like, oh, Ed, I'm not your friend. Yeah, that's great. You know, and, and just how he treats Donna so poorly and how he yells her name at the roadhouse i mean he really
0: is a scumbag yeah so we see james here and donna they're freaking out they already know what happened they can tell because they already know the backstory bobby did not know yeah my mvp acting wise
1: besides uh cooper in uh or mclaughlin in the pilot is, is james <laughs> <laughs> is laura flynn boyle
0: i also liked how she, uh, audrey kind of looked happy like she kind of looked like uh i think later on when they show that she's dead like she doesn't look like she's sad at all about hearing about laura palmer's death
1: No, aren't they setting Audrey up to be the bad girl? Yeah. I mean, with the saddle shoes and then changing to the the red heels, smoking the cigarette, causing the Norwegian deal to fall apart. Uh, The coffee cup, okay, Bob, okay, Bob. And then just that look on her face when she, she knows Laura's dead. I think that they didn't know where the Audrey character was going to go. I don't think that she was fully fleshed out yet. And uh, she's in, uh, obviously, a few of these scenes. But I think they're setting her up to be the bad girl because there isn't a bad girl. I mean, Donna is the classical good girl. Laura Flynn Boyle, I think, knocks it out of the park. I think she was fantastic. I don't think she was ever better in Twin Peaks than she was in the pilot. But you've got the bad boy in Bobby Briggs. You've got the sensitive, poet motorcycle james hurley boy you've got uh, the good girl donna and you don't have the bad girl so i think that audrey might have been uh set up as the bad girl of course she wasn't i think she was uh, uh, misunderstood and once you get to know her relationship with her father you 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 get why she has that look on her face when she finds out laura's you know been killed
0: yeah, I think Bobby must have been a good poker player because he's doing a good job here, just blank faced, has no idea what's going on. And I'm wondering, uh, they're going to arrest him, but I'm wondering what evidence. They're just going to put a cuff him and stuff him just because he was her boyfriend? Like, Ooh, what's Bobby? going on? Yeah, right here.
1: Well, they say that. Uh, you're under arrest? You're going to put you under <laughs> arrest for this? <laughs> yes. He wasn't where he was supposed to be that morning. So you're under arrest. Is that it? And that... he was the last person to see, or uh, like, they, they don't I'd say, know. i say, where's my... the warrant? Where's Excuse the warrant?
0: me? Where's the warrant? They don't need a warrant. They're, they're not just searching a anything. Under what grounds? In, they're bringing him in for questioning. If I was Major Breezes, a lawyer, I would have been suing their
1: ass for wrongful imprisonment. I don't think... You don't see him in jail yet. You only see him in jail after the fight at the Roadhouse. They're bringing him in for questioning. Okay, I see. Have you seen the show before? No, no.
0: I've
1: never seen it. <laughs> um, also, one thing I wanted to mention about Leland, when he goes to the moor, he's like 17 years old. He goes in there, he touches her... And he says, my little girl. And it made me think of the little girl who lived down the lane. Because there was other several other little girl mentions in Fire Walk With Me. And uh, I think that Ray Wise, even though he's very weepy uh, throughout this particular episode, you still get a sense of the gravitas of his performance. I think he, especially when he finds out and he drops the phone. He doesn't tell Sarah that their daughter is dead. He drops the phone and that's when you know, she knows for sure it's confirmed. And Ray Wise is great, and uh, also great unheralded performance. Principal Wolchek, the former hardest working man in Hollywood. Yeah, Don Davis took that role, right? <laughs> Afterwards, <laughs> we used to say, "Principal." Well, we, is he still early, alive? I don't know, but in the early '90s, he showed up everywhere. Remember him? Uh, he was in Near Dark. Uh, he was in a bunch of movies, but he, this one little scene, basically, very powerful. You get the emotion. You see the impact. And you see the the friends consoling Donna. Now, we don't see these friends anymore, but it all leads to Laura Palmer and the slow zoom in on her homecoming portrait. And it's just a brilliant end to the first act of this pilot.
0: Yeah, I guess the girl to the right of uh, Donna looks just like Laura Palmer a little bit. She could have been Laura Palmer's stunt double, actually. I think She uh, took the place immediately. She's probably number two in the homecoming race. You
1: know, Laura, Cheryl Lee was an actual local hire, uh, as was Don Davis, I think Wendy Roby, who plays Nadine, and Renette. So they went on uh, location. And when you do that, I think there's some kind of stipulation. I think you have to hire some local uh, talent. And I think it's also maybe cheaper than bringing up everyone from Los Angeles. But what a coup to find Cheryl Lee in that particular area and the career that she's had uh, uh, not only as Laura Palmer, but in other roles. I mean, she was fantastic in Backbeat and uh, several other movies that she's been in as well. But I don't think we ever would have gotten a firewalk With Me if Cheryl Lee didn't have the chops. So very fortuitous that not only did she have the, that look that they were looking for, but that she could actually act. And bringing her back as Maddie, I think that they recognized immediately I don't think it was just a plot contrivance. I think that they knew that they had something, something with this, with this actress, and and she really did nail it. I mean, she. Re- I think she's got not only the best scream in the business. I think she might have the best smile. Yeah. And that plays into the duality.
0: I like the shot of uh, Laura's frame photo behind her head there. It's like the specter.
1: It's like looming. Yeah. Like Laura's presence is looming throughout, not only, like you know, throughout the town, but. Even here in the Palmer House, the way that Lynch frames the shot with Sarah after she's been uh, given the, uh, the sedative, there's that, that great picture of Laura just looming. Just these little subtleties. I want to mention also when Bobby was being uh, 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 interrogated by Harry and Andy and Hawk that Hawk has like a line like, you know, uh, do you want to tell us something, Bobby? And then Andy goes, yeah, is something troubling you? Bobby like he actually has some like Gravitas Andy as As an uh, investigator there it's like They're still finding the characterizations I think you know Andy's very weepy um, In this particular episode but I don't think that that he's been made out To be the buffoon
0: yeah and uh, Sarah's freaking out uh, here she looks up at The, the ceiling fan and she's worried she, she looks at the ceiling fan do we have the shot of the ceiling fan yeah here? she the first thing she did was she Isn't that great fan. also the mirrors you know the three
1: Mirrors <clears throat> that are behind the couch That the same placement even in season three and it's the mirror where I believe that you know the, the iconic moment where Frank Silva was captured in the mirror off camera which really cemented in Lynch's mind that he, that he Frank Silva as Bob had a place in the series but uh, uh, this of course is not shot in the actual Palmer house from Firewalk with me, the Mary Reber house. Uh, this
0: was a house I believe that they shot in on location. She never used the, her home video camera in Firewalk with me. She had it right there. She could have done a, a That's video, true. A video That's blog. true. Yeah. Well, I think
1: the picnic scene was several days before the beginning of Fire Walk With Me. I think it was February 12th, and Fire Walk With Me began in, on February 16th.
0: Don't you think she would have other tapes that they'd want to check out? Not just that one? She'd probably have a bunch of videos to look at.
1: That's true. Throw
0: That's it away? True. They just didn't bother?
1: Erased. Maybe Bob got to the tapes in addition to the secret diary.
0: Yeah, Laura should have done a secret uh, video diary and snuck that in there, and perhaps that L- Leland would not have noticed.
1: You know, it's also interesting that Lynch did not direct any other high school scenes in the first two seasons. Now, they returned to high school many times throughout the first two seasons, but Lynch-directed episodes didn't. He did in Fire Walk With Me, and I think that at some point, uh, I read if they were going to do a season three originally after uh, season two in 1991 that they were going to cut away to like 10 years later. It was going to go into the future. And I think one of the reasons why is I think they wanted to get out of the high school aspect of it. I don't think Lynch was into the high school uh, milieu uh, of Twin Peaks. I think it was necessary, obviously, because Laura was a high school student, Donna, James. uh, But also, don't you think Audrey would probably have been going to a private school? There probably was not a private school there. She could have been
0: homeschooled, though. Like yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, homeschool. Yeah. Well, here we are at the uh, Packard Sawmill, two by fours, four by eights. <laughs> it was also fours. interesting in the high school uh, uh,
1: scene, the classroom. There was a photo of Lincoln. You know, Lynch has a uh, affinity for Abraham Lincoln. Going back to Blue Velvet, Frank Booth, John Wilkes Booth who shot Lincoln, uh, going down by Lincoln. We have that penny in season three. I think there's many other moments of Lincoln iconography. Uh, in uh, in the uh, Lynch world. Um, but uh, just little subtle touches there right, throughout. And then American flags. Lynch loves his American flags. it's Very patriotic.
0: Yeah, Piper Laurie here is refusing to shut down the sawmill. Um, that kind of goes with her character. Has she ever been in a character where she wasn't a shrew? Or wasn't a negative <laughs> character? Uh,
1: the Hustler? Okay, so if memory serves, I could be wrong. It's been a long time since I've read The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer. But I recall reading that... Laura tutored Josie in English and also seduced her? Am I making that up? Beats me. You don't remember that? No. no I idea. okay, I don't I don't know why I would have made that up, but uh, you should
0: have re- reread the diary before we did the show <laughs> Yeah, I
1: probably you should still I haven't. have. I should have, but because I'm thinking about the scene of Josie shutting down the mill. Now, uh, Renette's father, I believe, works at the uh the Packard Sawmill and That was one of the reasons why she decided to close down for the particular day. But she had a relationship with Laura. I mean, I know, I think in the next episode when when, uh, Truman and Cooper go to see her, uh, she tells him, I believe, that Laura was tutoring her in English. But her relationship to Laura Palmer might have an effect on Josie as to why she is doing this. I don't think it's despite Catherine is it really just because one of their employees' daughter wasn't murdered? I mean, her daughter was, Renette was found, but uh, they, never, uh, they never explored that particular uh, uh, plot
0: point. I mean, they could have bonded because they both were call girls. Josie in Hong Kong. Oh, that's right. When I Jacks That's right. Oh, here we go. Another iconic
1: moment Renette on the bridge. Now, this is one of only two scenes, I believe, where we get a brief glimpse of sunlight, and it's the long shot of Renette walking on the bridge, and then they cut to a more uh, uh, medium shot, and uh, you see that she has been bound, and that she has obviously been. Just a cigarette
0: burns on her neck, on on her chest. See? Cigarette burns. Oh, that's right. Was that Leland or Jacques and Leo? That beats me. Probably Jacques or Leo. Because Leland doesn't smoke. Yeah. Unless he was in the middle of murdering and he had a smoke. Do you think James' his only character work on uh, finding this character, James Marshall, was just watching James Dean movies? Was that it? (laughs) I don't know. But isn't Big Ed
1: one of the... He's like an immediately calming influence, I think, in the town. He's one of the few people that don't think that you're going to suspect has anything to do with Laura's murder. Like, even Nadine, like, there's this ominous, like... Norma, nothing to do with it. Well, that's true.
0: But, but Andy, <laughs> nothing to do with it. Michael Horst, nothing to do with it.
1: Diane, 11.30 a.m., February 24th. Entering the town of Twin Peaks.
0: This is really where I would start the show for my daughter. If she's going to watch it, let's start it here. Immediately, just sets the character up brilliantly, because not
1: only he's talking about... Business with the procedural, but he's also talking about stopping at the lamplighter inn, what he had, uh, talking about the weatherman. I mean, here in this like 90 second monologue, it sets up his character perfectly, but at the same time, it's not the Dale Cooper that we all fell in love with in subsequent episodes
0: because I think he's a little colder in a the lot pilot. Colder. It's a lot colder.
1: Well, comparatively.
0: Do you think Diane got sick of all the minutiae on his stupid tapes? Like, please, just cut to the chase. I don't (laughs) need to hear all this. (laughs) No, I think it's part of his charm. And here it is right
1: here, the long shot of meeting Harry. You think maybe there's going to be some resistance. He even says right off the bat, hey, look, you know, when the Bureau gets called in, the Bureau's in charge. And here they do, they're coming closer, but it's almost like they're coming closer to the camera and talking business. And then Cooper just stops Almost mid sentence, it goes, Wait a second here, you've got to tell me what kind of wonderful trees do you got growing around here. And I think it just lets Harry know that this isn't going to be some like, you know, FBI uh, pencil pusher here who's going to like kind of like uh, take over my territory without involving me at all. It's like this guy has a personality and he seems genuinely affected by what Harry, I think, knows is a very special place of Twin Peaks.
0: Do you think Harry would have uh, liked to have known about the whole Teresa Palmer connection? Teresa Palmer or oh, Teresa, Teresa
1: Banks? Teresa Banks. Yeah. Yeah, I think what well, he tells Harry after finding the uh, R under her fingernail that we've got a lot to talk about. But my question to you is, how did Cooper show up in Twin Peaks so quickly after Renette uh, came down off the mountain and crossed the straight,
0: state line? Good question. Time portal?
1: <laughs> was, like, he already-
0: in, was he already uh, investigating Teresa pa- Banks on the banks of the river in Firewalk with Me? Okay, so that was a year before. Oh, yeah. What was he doing? What was he doing there? It's a good question. Up to no good, probably, Tom. In retrospect.
1: Well, I mean, now that we know about Blue Roses and all this, you know, the what the FBI is up to. Maybe he we... was meeting with Major Briggs.
0: <laughs> Perhaps.
1: <laughs> I Project have Facebook. no
0: idea what's going on here. I want to know how he's. Uh, well, he's really into the lamplighter ends cherry pie, right? And so, does that discount the his fascination with, with uh, Norma's pie because he just loves pie?
1: No, because when he. Has Norma's pie, he immediately asks for two more slices.
0: Yeah, I wonder if he has two more slices. Of the lamplighter pie in the back seat. He just got a whole No, because he told Diane pies.
1: what the bill was. Oh, that's and right. Only You're had right. one Good. cherry Good one.
0: pie, and he ate uh the tuna sandwich just like Lynch. It's his favorite 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 meal. So you don't want to go into any more about why Cooper showed up. Uh, I don't know. Would I'd like for you to tell me? Do you have any uh, genius theories? Perhaps we were given no clues, right?
1: Cooper None of the... even says during the town hall meeting that, uh, or no, in the morgue scene that he, he knew he had a sense that this murder was connected to Teresa bank. So there had to have been continuation of her mystery or her investigation. Now the whole Chet Desmond aspect, I think is a wash because that was only because Kam McLaughlin wasn't going to do fire walk with me. But I think, in this timeline or in this iteration that Cooper was investigating uh, the Teresa Banks murder, maybe following certain leads and he was in close proximity, even though that was in the Southwestern part of the state and Twin Peaks is in the Northeastern part of the state that maybe he was in the Tacoma office, which is probably only an hour or two away from Twin Peaks. And he got the alert of the Laura Palmer murder Renette thing. And immediately because he is so intuitive, put two and two together and, and called Cole and said, I'm going to go investigate this.
0: Uh, yeah, Cole may have had his own Learjet, like in The Return, and he just hopped on Cole's Learjet. Government dime being wasted. Any
1: hunch? The Jacoby scene, which is which is great, because he just really has the one scene, but it's important because we find out that uh, he was uh, uh, seeing Laura Palmer. and uh, But also before that, when they're going down the elevator, the one shot of the one-armed man in the elevator... With the international pilot, it all ties in together because Bob works at the hospital, and that's where they meet, and that's where Mike, ultimately, the one-armed man, shoots and kills Bob. It's very fascinating. That pilot ending, the international pilot, even though it makes doesn't make a, a, a lot of sense, Al Strobel, as the one-armed man, his monologue is utterly captivating and fascinating, and he really... Hits it out of the park. This is the great scene. This is the one
0: that really hooked me, I think, when I was young. When they found the fingernail, the letter under the nail. That was the big hook. I was like, okay. That was when I actually started paying attention, I think. <laughs> yeah. So you endured like 40 minutes. I think I was making out with my girlfriend at the time. We were probably watching it together. And I finally sat up and went, what's this? I said, this is compelling. And also because the whole image of just like pulling that under from the nail. It makes you have sense memory of having your nail. It feels icky. And also it's very mysterious and cool. I saw that letter, I was like, okay, I'm in. Let's keep watching this.
1: Well, I like the actual mood of the uh, uh, the scene with the bad Transformer and the flubbed line by the attendant there uh, says his real name when Cooper asks him or tells him to leave. It was a flub and Lynch decided to keep it. But what we know about electricity with Lynch and in subsequent uh, episodes and seasons of Twin Peaks, that not only does it set the mood, but it's it's interesting that we have this bad Transformer electricity going haywire, while he's removing the
0: letter, what do you think of Michael Longhi's performance? Uh, not so bad in this first episode. I think he was okay. He got worse as we progressed, but I think uh, <laughs> in this one he was okay. Yeah. I thought he was I great. Him. I love the the dynamic between them. I mean, he, this is a rural
1: sheriff. Now he's not a rube. But I think he's a little bit out of his element in a murder investigation. But it makes sense because there probably haven't been a lot of murder investigations in Twin Peaks.
0: I remember liking his jacket at the time; that was very stylish. Now, not so much. But at the time,
1: <laughs> it's
0: cool. I liked it.
1: You know, one thing when they, uh, when you know, Cooper opens the diary, and he reads. I think her last entry is uh, asparagus for dinner. I hate asparagus. Does this mean I'll never grow up? Now, that's her. Her. Uh, fake diary, when she was keeping up. A red herring. The line that does this mean I'll never grow up, written on the last day, and knowing what we know, she knew. That's a little subtle clue. Does this mean I'll never grow up? I thought no. she'd say like, I will never grow up, because she knows he's gonna die tonight.
0: Well, yeah. you know,
1: he's gotta be a little mysterious. But also, he turns back, I think, like several days, and he finds the plastic baggie with this uh, uh, with the uh, safety deposit key, and he goes... I think we'll test this room we'll find cocaine and harry's like whoa no you don't know laura palmer but you would think that the safety deposit key and the plastic baggie with cocaine you think she would have put that in the secret diary
0: yes so. it's got uh, trail traces of cocaine on it right that would have been something to put in <laughs> yes also yes. notice that they said that this diary was started like 18 days ago so is she doing a new diary for every month that's true so where were the previous diaries it's just stacked up somewhere she must have a whole hidden like room of diaries Get in the car. Mufflet Jr. Mind your own business. You're on my lot, friend. Oh, right, Ed, I'm not your friend. Yes, Snake, you should have been in more episodes, Tom. Now we know why he became a used car salesman. He's a real asshole. He's a snake. <laughs> hey, my dad was a car
1: salesman. Are you saying my dad was exactly. an asshole? Exactly. That's what I'm saying, Tom.
0: <laughs> you told me. <laughs> I heard yeah, it was, I, no,
1: Ed, I'm not your friend. That's a great line. Gary Hirschberger, who we have a great affection for. I think this is his shining moment. I love the little Nadine bits in season two, especially post-coital after they checked With the Mustache, out of... What?
0: With the fake mustache? Did you have a fake mustache <laughs> That's what I did when I checked into hotels when I was 18. I put a fake mustache on. Fedora worked every time. But
1: uh, also, like, you know, Donna's like, God, I sure know how to pick them. And then Ed, like Nadine shows up and Ed goes, I sure know how to pick them, too. So this 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 theme of not only secret relationships, but dysfunctional
0: relationships. And I think it also shows you the dearth of uh, uh, people that you can possibly date in Twin Peaks because everyone's dating people they don't like. But who else are you going to date? Like Josie dating Sheriff Truman? Come on. She could have found someone That's better true. in any other That's town. Yeah. But there's like 20 people in the town. So well, how come uh, Donna? It doesn't seem like there's 52,000. Is that the right? Is that right? That seems like it'd be 5,000.
1: It's, it was supposed to be 5,000, but ABC freaked out and goes, whoa, ho, ho, ho. you can't have a town with just 5,000 people. And put a little, put a one in there.
0: It's 51,000. Or 40,000, like, in a mental institution somewhere, like where, the jail. <laughs> like, where are they? In the woods? 40,000 employees of the Packard Sawmill cutting down trees. <laughs> nervous about meeting Jay tonight. That's a classic. She really did the old uh, switcheroo, didn't she? she has been nervous about meeting Elle. Judy. Yeah, does that? We'll see. Was she giving it away? That would be like for Leland to give away. I'd be like ripping that out. Right. Nervous about meeting L. Okay, I'm gonna leave that in. If I was Leland,
1: that line sets up the rest of the investigation of this pilot, where they focus more on the uh, high schoolers, because Cooper's gonna find out that Jay refers to the mysterious biker that filmed the picnic video. And they've also questioned Bobby, which is, it's normal. But the one thing that I think that they should have, especially with the Teresa Banks murder, is that this was in a different part of the state. Knowing Teresa Banks worked at a diner and was involved in prostitution, that you'd think that the killer would be an adult, and if it's the same killer because of the same M.O. with a fingernail, that Cooper would realize that it would be an adult, that he would focus his investigation more on the adult as opposed to the
0: adolescence. That's a good point. That's a very good point, Tom. It's another ball dropped by him. <laughs> I like Andy here talking to Lucy at the train car. I see the real emotion in him, and I really like this one scene of his. He's crying. I feel sorry for him, too. Sweetie, sweetie, I want to get a hug. I, like I did it. too. I yeah. think
1: this is one of his uh, a better moments in the entire series. I love how he goes, it's horrible. The idea that there's murder in a town that he probably grew up and the fact that it was ritualistic and gruesome is really affecting him in an extreme manner. But his representation of grief in the show, I think is palpable. I think it's real and I think it sets his character up perfectly. I think that I think we all laugh with that. But in season three, I'm glad that Andy was the one who visited the firemen and maybe like the reason why he had a Rolex Rolex in season 3 is because the town maybe pulled in some, or pitched in some money and gave him the Rolex as a gift because of what he means to the community he's a pure soul. Did we figure out in the return if that Rolex actually kept
0: good time? Was it like off a little bit? Do you know what the time was on the Rolex
1: yes, yeah. 430 Yes, 4:30.
0: Yeah. I also want to know did Bobby was he able to see the reflection of James's hog in the eye of Laura cuz he knew immediately it was a biker. Because there had to be more than one J that Laura was probably messing around with in town. So he was that good of an eye. He saw yeah, that too.
1: I think he saw the the bike, I think, because he looks very closely. I think he knew that it was a bike. I think that he knew it was obviously a biker and how many Js are. There's Joey Paulson and James Hurley probably. So he probably knew it was one of the two.
0: I would like to see more of the Bookhouse Boys, actually. They have a good role in this. I like the Bookhouse Boys. Yeah, I agree. And it's kind of an evocative when the Bookhouse Boys gets Donna, the guy with the ponytail. It's almost evocative of James and Laura in Firewalk with Me and then also in The Return. Kind of evocative. That's true. That's oh, that's that back. shot. where the shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I do like this one shot. Bobby looks like he's really, this is good acting here when he finally leans in and he's stopping being your stupid bravado. I like that. That seemed real. I want to see at the very end, like at the end of *Inglorious Bastards, when uh, Shoshana has the meeting with Hans Landa, and then after the strudel, and she goes, oh, like freaks out at the end after he leaves. There should have been a shot of that. With Bobby? Yeah. <laughs> 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 see, I think Dana Ashbrook was excellent, not only in
1: the series, but especially in the pilot. And, I mean, it's not affecting her. Murder is not, this is his girlfriend. And what we know with the Jacoby scene, when he breaks down, it's like he's putting up a wall maybe he's that's what he he needs to put up this defense because he really is a very sensitive guy he's kind of like James he's easily torn down and i think that he's he's striving to remain stoic and strong and using his own like narcissism to defeat the maybe the guilt or the sadness that he's feeling and it's also but it's also very adolescent it's a, a betrayal it's a it's a very uh i think honest betrayal of someone who is very young who can't cope. They don't have the experience. Like someone like James, he's very sensitive to this or whatever. His mother was, you know, a drunk and left him. So I think he has these experiences. Bobby's a classic rebel. His dad is, you know, A number one Air Force, you know, war hero. Betty is a great maternal figure. And he probably was like an Eagle Scout himself, but once he grew up, puberty, you know, went the, the, the bad boy route. And he's he's, uh, he's secretly uh, uh, having sex with uh, Leo Johnson, the town baddie's wife. So, uh, you know, Bobby, I think, is playing a role here. I think, and but you see the moments, like in the
0: interrogation, like, I don't do drugs. And then seeing that, oh, Laura. You should have tested him right then. <laughs> yeah. He would have failed. But- What I'm wondering is, like, you and I, you had video cameras back in the day. We shot all kinds of movies on this, whatever that camera style was. And we never could zoom in that close to the eyeball like that. So I wondered, did James walk up slowly? Was he, like, two inches away from Laura's face when he got that shot of her eye? Because he couldn't pan it away from ten yards away and then zoom in and have it that clear. So he had to have walked up and been, like, an inch away before I said, cut, and they kissed. That's what happened. I think he was far away, and he zoomed in. That's why you had the reflection. know, but the bike. zoom doesn't work. You know, you can't zoom that clearly on those old crappy cameras. You know what that's like. You could zoom one <laughs> foot. The well, Steadicam was also fantastic. Well, don't you also yeah.
1: think the image of the reflection of the eye, uh, or the bike in Laura's eye, is another
0: iconic image? Oh uh, yeah, it could have been if he got real closer, right? It would have been the camera. Instead of, of, uh, yeah, if I was Ben, I would have had a handler, like someone that worked at the hotel, constantly (laughs) watching Audrey to make sure she would not pull moves like this, going to the Norwegians and fucking things up. He didn't have that foresight. Maybe it was Jerry's job, but Jerry was out of town.
1: Yes, Jerry. You know, that's one thing that's missing in this pilot is Jerry Horn. I mean, we need some Jerry Horn here. But uh, I love the idea of Audrey, like oh, what can I do to fuck things up for my daddy here? And the way that she does it, she puts on this act, and she says how her, her friend, Laura, Laura and her weren't friends, and I love her line reading of, she'd been murdered, almost like Jerry.
0: Murdered? I like how the they <laughs> said murdered. Murdered?
1: And I love just the, uh, the, the the way that the gentlemen, the Norwegians, like, look at her. You know, they look at their translator, and they look at her. We'll talk about the music at some point here shortly. That musical cue... During that Audrey scene, that's the one that I never was the biggest fan of. Yeah, no, I don't
0: like the Norwegian theme. Yeah. They- <laughs> bump, 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 yeah. Bump. It's like a waltz bump, bump or something, yeah, it's a right? Yeah. Or something, yeah. yeah, I was wondering, looking in the train car, like uh, there's a hammer. A hammer. Right. Well, what's the hammer used for? I think that was the murder weapon. He smashed it with a hammer. There wasn't any hammer marks on her head, there wasn't any hammer wounds. I think it, well, no,
1: I think that she was, didn't they say, no, that was Teresa Banks who was hit with a blunt, obtuse object, um, which was a pipe, I think. But I think it was just the hammer head. I think that's what Leland used, uh, not the claw, the, the head that he pounded her skull or fractured her skull they should have had
0: some fake hammer indents on the body then I don't like think he used us. that on her body I think he yeah. just hit her in the head a couple times well they should have showed that I don't, I don't <laughs> see what happened it's not very CSI like the old DNA factor would have ended this pro- this uh, investigation very quickly and they don't really do a lot of CSI like on this well this it's is kinda, really on the more cusp like, of, yeah circumstantial it's like Columbo style
1: but it's kind of the cusp of the DNA CSI thing so it's like you'd think that uh, this murder would be
0: solved very quickly in today's era who was the forensics? Who's doing the forensics here, Andy? Is <laughs> you that the mean in Twin Peaks? In, yeah, in the train car. Who did the forensics? Who said, "Okay, we're clearing the scene. <laughs> we're gonna do the forensics here." Nobody. <laughs> Who's taking the blood? I saw none of that. Yeah, I think it uh, wasn't Andy, the sketch artist. Yeah, but I so. think Hawk is the sketch artist in the pilot,
1: uh, the international ending. So maybe Andy was the forensic. Uh, that's the problem, Tom. That's why this thing <laughs> lasted two and a half seasons. Well, this scene or the scene with Donna. I mean, just how she's covering up. She knows it was James, obviously, and she's lying. And Cooper knows that she's lying. He's he's very sympathetic to her there because I think he recognizes, as opposed to Bobby, who isn't feeling or doesn't. Uh, doesn't uh, warrant any sympathy from cooper because he's not showing any emotion to his girlfriend dying but donna very differently you could tell that this is her best friend and she's extremely hurt and she's covering up for for james and he i think almost gets a sense that i know that she's going to go and try to you know uh,
0: play nancy drew here and that's another reason why i need to go ahead and follow her donna should have just like uh just fessed up because she knows james didn't kill her It's just that it was James, and we were out there having a picnic, and well, you watch this,
1: and even though he's got the other half of the heart, and you know the the the, the other half is in the train car, there's no suspicion on James whatsoever. He just does not, um, he does not evoke a a menacing presence of someone who is uh, uh, would be a suspect in the killing. Oh, the Norwegians are leaving. Classic Lynch moment here. Banging the bell incessantly and just saying the Norwegians are leaving over and over again while Audrey is just giddy in the corner watching and Ben is trying to save face here and uh, to no avail.
0: Jerry could have got him back. If Jerry was there, he would have (laughs) brought him back. You know, Ben would have said, Jerry, 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 take care of this. Take him (laughs) out but the
1: these shots of the the fog over the the misty trees and you've got the hound dogs and this posse here while Cooper and Truman go into the train car i wonder who found the train car How, yeah, who found the train car i don't know yeah. it's never said maybe like the trail of the hound the 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 bloodhounds found the blood was, was that we... shot
0: in l.a. was the, tra- the train car was it like in twin peaks was it like did they uh... When, where was that created? Because we, did we, we didn't we we go did go visit there. I mean, there was no train car. No, I think the train car... should have memorialized that. Affection. Yeah, no,
1: but this is all shot on location in that area. So there were no... None of this was shot in L.A. Well, I think the Red Room scene was shot in L.A., but that was after the fact. But this was all shot on location. I don't think the train car exists anymore, but this is a great moment because, A, it's the murder scene, but we also have not only the half-heart, but it's on a mound of dirt... And we have the uh, piece of paper written in blood of Firewalk with Me. Whose blood? What's well, Leland's blood? Didn't
0: they just, That was the blood. big flaw. They should have just tested the whole town's <laughs> folks' blood. It was it typo negative or something like that? A very rare blood type? It is. They never yes. bothered to bring all the suspects in and test their blood.
1: Well, they Another
0: failure the... on Andy, the forensic evidence. He's Quincy, and he failed. <laughs> Did you just reference Quincy? Yeah, Quincy, MD, 1972, Jack Kleinman. <laughs> It's a great show. One part is that uh, when Cooper says, "You didn't love her anyway," to Bobby, he did love her. He was wrong about that. He was wrong yeah, about that. Wrong about that. It's a very Richard-like line reading, isn't yeah, it? That's good. I like that line. Oh, yeah. I, you think this is like a Maddie doppel here? Like she's the one with the the buck fell off. She goes, "Sorry, it fell off here." And you thought that that was she? Looks like Maddie. She has the the oversized
1: glasses, the dark hair, the petite frame, the the soft voice. At first, I thought it was. Uh, laura palmer cheryl lee uh as a different character i just love the imagery of the deer head on the table it just really just adds another component like a, just a scene of just okay we got the, this uh, safety deposit box but to have this deer head on the table i don't know if that was intentional if it had fallen off or whatever but this is also an introduction of flesh world
0: yeah that was another hook that was another hook i was like okay mm-hmm. that's really cool but back to the Maddie thing and the glasses, the stopple. Don't you think that Mark Frost threw those glasses on her? Because he, if you look back in the stick, still photos from 1982, he had the exact same Maddie glasses. <laughs> the Sally the Raphael glasses, another like 90s yes. uh, reference. You know who also had those glasses
1: too? Who? Me. Oh, you had those? Like in 1990. Remember <laughs> those big oversized Michael <laughs> yeah. Caine glasses? Those Charles Nelson Riley's. Yeah, those yeah, are awesome. the Charles Nelson Riley. Yeah. But here we go. We have Laura Palmer who found out just in a short period of time that she was using cocaine um, that she has $10,000 in cash, and which is a lot of Girl Scout cookies, which is a line that I love, and that she's connected to Laura Palmer, because, or to Renette Pulaski, because there's the image of Renette. There's a page that's marked. I love how he's just yeah. so kind of like just boyish, and the intrigue, the smile. And then, of course, they have that great... You also see Leo's truck there, and it transitions right, or dissolves right to... Um, the truck itself and then we go in and I love Leo's subtle, understated uh, uh
0: menace here. Where he's, he's like, the Shelly Shelly, could you come here and sit by me for a second? Don't <laughs> yes. You think he's a very handsome man here. He should have put his own photo in Flesh Roll instead of his truck. <laughs> <laughs> He'd have gotten some more hits. But but, yeah, Eric uh, DeRay, he's yeah, he's very understated. He's kinda like uh, yeah, he's kinda, I like the tones. Kinda, yeah, I I i like got Mickey suit. Rourke. What's that? Rokian. Mickey Warkian. He talks like Oh Mickey very Rourke. Mickey Yes, yeah. okay, yeah.
1: I love the little curl. He's got the ponytail, but he's got the little
0: curl on the forehead. He should have kept the curl for the whole season.
1: Shelly is scared, and this is not
0: a good relationship. And is he drinking creme de menthe? Yeah, that's right. Drink a creme de In the morning That's a morning drink. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Swig a creme de menthe. That's nothing more menacing than someone swigging, threatening your life and then swigging some creme de menthe, Tom. Yes.
1: But that's Leo's only scene here. We know that he obviously was a big part, uh, played a big part. He was really the red herring of uh, murder suspects in season one, and he just has the one scene, but he looms large his presence because of when Bobby's taking Shelley home earlier. Bobby wants no part of that. He stops the car, get out, turns around, speeds away, and we see why. It's because he was the
0: main suspect in the killing for like nine episodes. He was. It was him. He killed Waldo, and uh, Joanna Ray who did the casting. Was her his father or his mother? So. They really needed a good role there, and do you think there was a lot of people that auditioned like for that role, and they decided to give it to the nepotism?
1: Uh, I don't know. It's a good question, but I do know when they were casting and they were reading that Eric DeRay read with a lot of the actors. And I think what happened was is that Lynch probably, and Frost, they probably got a, a comfortable with him, and I think he was an actor himself. And I don't know if they created the role of Leo specifically for him, but he was a constant presence in the
0: casting process. See, here we are at the, at the town hall meeting. I think this one really slows the whole show down. I to cut this. No reason for this. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think it's great because uh, we have uh, Cooper really off him saying, like, who's the babe? You know, it's not really Cooper saying babe. That's not really, uh, I think, in uh, Cooper's DNA. But uh, I love the, the gland-handed gland dandy, the line with Ben Horn. And we get some good... Yeah, expo- that's why we
0: have that scene, just the exposition
1: yeah. to see, set up the characters and he gets to see who they are. Yeah, yeah the because he, he's getting the M.O. or the uh, information from Harry about, like, okay, Catherine, she owns the Packard Sawmill, and uh, Ben wants her land, not Josie. We have the introduction of the log, log lady. lady. But uh, I want to know, because Cooper says, you are the leaders of this town. And outside of Catherine, Josie, Ben, and Pete... it's a bunch of like, hillbillies. Yeah. Who, who else... Lucas. Is, yeah. Who else is here? Who are these leaders? Just seeing that traffic light... Yes. ...is super iconic. I love the traffic light. I think that... It's the one at Sparkwood
0: in 21. What's that? That's the one at Sparkwood in 21, right? Yes,
1: it is. And that's where Laura, where yeah. she was last seen by James. Yeah.
0: I personally am a big fan of Harriet Hayward uh, because I think she was a very uh, poetic type person and she should have been in more episodes and she also had the same comforter that I had when I was watching this. <laughs> the Paisley Blue Paisley was exactly the same one on a twin bed that she had and I wanted to see more of her. What happened to her?
1: I think she's trapped in the full blossom of the evening. That's awesome. It's, yeah. it's good. That was a great moment. I, I wish there was more Harriet Hayward. She... Had just, you know, two brief scenes, but... Uh, and I know she showed up again. She had that great moment in the second season premiere, our favorite episode, our favorite episode, where she recites the It's Laura poem. Wait, so who's Alicia Witt then? She's Gersten. She's the third Hayward Is she at college daughter. or something when this happened? she's not here at all? <laughs> she was not created at this point. I think because Alicia Witt was in uh, Dune... I think lynch had a relationship with her and i think he wanted to add that musical element and i think uh alicia witt is, was a musical prodigy and uh, i think that uh, lynch just uh, uh or frost or both uh, created that character uh at that particular moment and plus they were expanding the world of twin peaks yeah you know, that was during the hiatus i think that they were gearing up for the reveal um so i think that you know with the harold smith they were opening up uh, the world of Twin Peaks a little bit uh, to the detriment I think of the sec- success of the show I think that's where Twin Peaks kind of fell off a little bit was by I- expanding the characters and the story we already had a lot of characters and then you add the Dick Tremaines and uh, the M.T. Wences and the Ernie Niles Little Nicky
0: What? Little Dicky, Little Nicky Little Nicky, yeah, yeah, Little Nikki. but uh, uh, Harriet, she the, she is a poet it's Laura. Very flock of seagulls. Very cool. She's also sitting on like a pillow. It says something like "swell, swell day, swell." I'd like to see what that pillow says. I don't it know. Could have been
1: a clue. Well, she has a bird cage in her room, and I just saw no bird. Foreshadowing uh, the Waldo mystery. Mister Bonehead boyfriend. She pretty much summed it up, didn't she? Yes. <laughs> I also love when Mike's like. Yeah, you know, we're all pretty shook up, you know, uh, but, you know, Bobby's doing most of the uh, driving and Bobby's like, you know, obviously throwing beer cans on. I called the police if I was uh, Mr. Hammer. <laughs> yeah. Call
0: the police right then.
1: I don't know if Lynch and Frost at this point realized that if the show was going to go forward, that they were going to take it like day by day, like each episode was going to be a day. Obviously, the pilot takes place during one day. Um, but on one hand, I think it really kind of helps. uh uh, with the actual like, characterization and the mood because we 're able to take our time things aren 't as frenetic, but on the flip side of that during the you know subsequent you know episodes and the second season, I think when the mystery was solved the lore's mystery was solved, I think that you know the show kind of uh, lost its footing. I think it it could have expanded beyond the one day equals one episode. I don't think that they necessarily had to keep that. And it's interesting that season three, they kind of followed the same format. You know, I was fully expecting season three when it when it when it was announced and we were talking about it, that it wouldn't follow that format, that we would kind of be jumping around, that it would take place over at least a couple of, you know, maybe, you know, uh, weeks or months. But I think in essence, that show really is over like seven, eight, nine days.
0: So he solved the crime in a week.
1: Uh, no, in like uh, two weeks. Two That's weeks. it? Yeah,
0: two weeks. Two weeks. Without any DNA evidence, it's amazing. you got a full <laughs> confession. <laughs> They'd have made this like a, a limited series now, like four episodes. Done. Well, yeah, I think there's like a super fan
1: out. cut where someone takes out all of kind of the extraneous like plot points and focuses, I think, primarily on the procedural... And I think it's like four hours from like, you know, the very See, beginning. It's four yeah, hours done. Yeah. yeah, it's four hours. But then it's the charm of Twin Peaks. I mean, I love the, the, the asides and the, the big Ed moments and, you know, him and Norma at the roadhouse and it's, it's you know, Tammy Wynette time. You know, she's going to stand by her man. But even, you know, Hank is name dropped when Ed and Norma meet and their little rendezvous. I just love how it takes its time. And I think that's what Lynch loved and Frost they loved about this is that they kind of knew this world and they wanted to show this world to a mainstream audience, but they wanted to do it kind of on their terms with their own idiosyncrasies. And I think they did it perfectly. There's a reason why Twin Peaks endures 30 years later. It's because of little moments like Harriet saying right now, you know, actually, now that some time has passed, I, I like the full blossom of the evening. Those little moments that make Twin Peaks that uh, special and it's I think unique to each individual because I have my own personal moments that, that resonate with me uh, but I know it's different for each person but uh, that's what makes Twin Peaks so special
0: you know what I think, if you go back a couple years and you go to the Twin Peaks theater and you know what's playing what? Teen Wolf he is standing on his that's car right. like Styles yeah. was van surfing, and I think he got that inspiration from that. Because why uh, scuff up your pe- your paint job? You got a nice yeah. polish going. Put them old lumberjack boots on there. You got to polish it again. <laughs> I see. I love the stakeout too. I love the moments where Cooper's like,
1: you know, uh, do you do you know why I'm whittling? And Harry's like, okay, I'll bite. He because that's what you do in a town where a yellow light still means slow down, not speed
0: up. I like that line. That was good. The small town vibe. Small and town That's vibe. what appealed to Maine America. That's why Maine America could, could get into this. Like, middle America, it's about them. Well, wasn't, like... should have made it 5,000 people. Should have made what? They should have made the town 5,000. They should have. You know, yeah, really they should have. I've been in a town of 3,000 at one point in my life. Fantastic. So does this yeah. resonate with you? Do you kind of have, similar, Does yeah, it evoke
1: certain memories and of certain, of a certain little neighborhoods little and people?
0: Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, a little bit. It felt like a, fi- a town of 5,000 and not a town of 50,000.
1: I also like the line, too, where they're, they're uh, I think they're finally, I think they're, they're uh, chasing after Joey Paulson, maybe, and Harry's on the, uh, the CB, and uh, and Cooper just looks over and, like, a non-sequitur just says,
0: give me a donut. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just random. I, just, it's, I love that. Don't you think, also, that whoever was booking the Roadhouse, even back then, had some great connections. They had Julie Cruz there. They were getting some good acts, even back then. Whoever that is, is a genius. If it's Jacques or Jacques's brother or whoever, whichever I know it was. Had some kind of, was <laughs> That's a kid. He's probably spent to time right. in Los Angeles and worked for a record company. Yeah, when they showed uh, Cooper coming in the return, when he drove past the sign, didn't he drive past the sign again? Was it like still 50,000? Yes. He, it has not changed in 25 years. The exact same amount of people.
1: Exactly. Really? That also kind of plays into uh, the dream aspect, right? Maybe the census taker was too afraid to come into town. They just left it up. <laughs> they didn't bother well, I think one of the moments, uh, one of the the, the better moments of, uh, of, of of the pilot is the scene of Donna and James. You know, I like the transition where, like, you see Joey Paulson. You know, it's going to be James because Donna and James have, you know, they know each other. They're connected to Laura. But I like the transition that Joey, who we think might be a player, is, and he's just the li- liaison to take uh, Donna to James, and they have that quiet moment together and. There's a great story behind the scenes that it was really late at night, it was super cold, and they were having trouble with the dialogue because it was, so they were freezing. And Lynch was like, no, he, he kept at it. And it could have, it was shot so tightly, it could have been shot like indoors somewhere. But Lynch wanted to, he pushed them, he pushed the actors. And Frost has a great quote, because he was there on the set and he w- was watching it. Once they finally got it, after that scene, Frost said, I knew we had something special, like that moment. And you watch it again, and you see it. You see the emotion on both of their faces. And and also that Laura's death has brought them together, and they become a couple. And maybe it was always meant to be that way. Um, and just
0: a brilliantly... Uh, a shot, scene, a beautiful moment. Yeah, I think part of why I liked this as a kid it really, like you said, the, rom- the high school romance going on and that being a kid they, you, the, the high school kids were almost like adults. They were able to drink, they were acting like adults, they're having these wonderful romance having deep feelings, suffering and I felt like a real connection to that, like that felt really cool instead of like what we're actually going through in our lives, which is not that cool <laughs> yeah, not nearly that cool Who's this Scotty character? The bookhouse boy named Scotty He goes, hey Scotty, Mutt and Jeff just walked in
1: Oh, uh, you know, I think that might be a friend of Joey Paulson. I think he has only one line of dialogue, and I yeah. think it's, "Oh, what a wonderful world." Yeah, which yeah. is, you know, interesting because isn't that the name of the Louis Armstrong song mm-hmm. that's a, that yeah. is playing mm-hmm. during the scene where Maddie oh, that's right. yes. tells Leland and yes. Sarah that she's going back to Missoula?
0: It definitely is. This is a very stage fight scene. If I was the Bookhouse Boys, I'd be jumping in. <laughs> Save it, Ed. They kind of, ran, they kind of backed off.
1: You oh, know, really cool motorcycles,
0: though I can tell you that the, the Bookhouse Boys. Well, doesn't it
1: like uh, isn't I think the uh, the intention of Lynch and Frost, especially with the James character or the the teenage Bookhouse Boys, kind of evoking like the, the the wild ones. I mean, yes, I mean I think that that Lynch likes and maybe Frost or both like that fifties iconography, fifties rebellious biker. I mean, we saw the uh, the tongue-in-cheek, the parody of that with Wally Brando in season three.
0: There's actually a Bookhouse boy or a guy with a beard who's got the leather jacket on and the same Marlon Brando hat. The one that's like, he was oh, really? in the middle of the scrum there. Yeah, but Well, oh, didn't way. Julie yeah. Cruz also have kind yeah, of... Yeah, she had the same hat on, yeah. So did they? Did Julie Cruz write that song before Twin Peaks was created or did she write that song for the pilot? Well, Lynch wrote the lyrics and Angelo wrote the
1: music and uh, they had used all those songs at the... Uh, uh, for her album, Floating into the night i believe and they had that member they had industrial symphony number no. one which was staged at the brooklyn academy of arts i think i think it was mm-hmm. right around i think it was right after
0: they shot the pilot and yeah, that uh, was one part of it is that the soundtrack i remember even being like driving around arlington texas and like they were playing that soundtrack the falling like before i even saw the show and that was like what is this hypnotic tune? And that was a part of the mystery, and, and drew me into the show. Weren't with you with your
1: girlfriend at? the I, get, time? I think I was in a
0: different had a different girlfriend that time. But, right. Uh,
1: yeah. And you heard it. You were at her house, and you heard it. I like, think we were at Stacy. So,
0: no, with house? Yeah, I, know I was with Jen, but we were at Stacy's house, I believe. And there was a waterbed involved, and I, I was listening oh. to it, and I was on a waterbed with my girlfriend at the time, and going like, "Hang on a second let's listen to this and like this is amazing in and the, and the whooshing of the water and i was like this is the coolest song ever. and they were like and yeah, that's from twin peaks everybody and i was like what and that was kind of my, i think that was my first time i'd ever heard about it was from the actually the music and not knowing about it until then and then yeah. my next girlfriend was like oh i got the whole season you got to watch this we got to dress up as bobby and audrey for halloween did you never got that far <laughs> but we would have who would you have gone as, Bobby? I was Bobby. You know that. I became yeah. Bobby. I wanted to be Bobby. My false bravado, the hair, everything, <laughs> I did the whole thing, the shtick, was now, I think, was very thinly veiled who insecurities.
1: W- who was the other uh, actor of the era that uh, was equally as important to you um, as a uh, icon? Uh, he was De- a soap opera. Was
0: it Jack Devro? Yeah, yes, from Days was. of Our Lies. Yes, he was. a journalist. I became a journalist. and uh, <laughs> he was very, I saw him once at the Beverly Gilles, Beverly Glen Starbucks uh, when I was 33 <laughs> years old. He was sitting outside. Matthew Ashford, I believe is his name. He was sitting alone, drinking a latte. I wanted to go up to him and tell him he was a great icon in my childhood, but I didn't have the guts to do that. And he looked very lonely. Who, Who else more? did you see at that same Starbucks? A lot of people. I saw James Spader. I saw Joey Pesci. I saw Laura Palmer. That's right. I saw Laura Palmer standing in line with her, and she had her kids, and she was very tall. And I was like flummoxed. I was standing right behind her. I was going, oh my God, you're Laura Palmer. And she just went, yeah. And that was it. And I was—I just said, I'm not going to talk to her. Because in LA, you don't talk to the celebrities. You can stand near them and don't mess with them. But I was—I had thought, not thought of her in a while. And she looked beautiful. And I was like, I can't believe I was standing next to Laura Palmer. She was about 5'10", 5, 5'11", 5, with her shoes on. And uh, she had her kids with her. Yeah. The best was Joey Pesci when he pulled up in his Mercedes convertible and had two women jumping in, like <laughs> sitting in their laps, and he pulled off with a cigar in his mouth. And I was like, that's also Brian Wilson I saw there. I saw a lot of people oh. there, yeah. yeah. that Pesci is kind of like an Elliot Blitzen moment from True Romance. Yeah, it was full Blitzen, and he peeled <laughs> out. And everyone stopped and watched him and said, look at that cool guy.
1: One of my favorite moments is uh, after they bring James to the uh, station, Lucy has set up the donuts in the conference room and Cooper immediately recognizes yeah. <laughs> that this is a policeman's dream. Yeah, I love and, that. I yeah. love that moment. And then also he needs to find a, a, a place to stay that's uh, clean and reasonably priced. And I also find it interesting that he says that you know, he lists the items that he needs, like a bed, a telephone, a bathroom, and a television Just in, case. in the case that he gets yeah. to knock off early yeah. one night, which he never did. Never,
0: never see Cooper watching television. I wonder what Cooper would be watching. I don't know. Columbo? Quincy? You <laughs> should have been watching Quincy. <laughs> right. I thought he would stay at the Lamplighter Inn, like a nice economy economy lodge, because the Great Northern is clearly a luxury palace. We've stayed there before. Yeah, but Truman
1: told him he could him good rate. Rate. Yeah, good get him a great rate. Yeah, good rate. Give him a great rate. Yes. That worked okay, out well. so let's talk about the international pilot, the ending of this, because the way that it ends uh, for American audiences when it premiered in April of 1990 was that so we come back to Sarah. We haven't seen Sarah. After they
0: bury the locket, after James... Oh, that's right, right. So that's what they do,
1: is that James has the uh, other half of the necklace, and Donna knows that the police are looking for the person who has that. So she doesn't want them to suspect that he's the killer. She knows that he's not, so they bury it. And actually, Jacoby is the one
0: who's been tailing them, which I find very interesting. mystery hand, I love that. That was another hook. I was like, okay, I'm I'm hooked, because I love the hand. It was mysterious. And then it doesn't, when Sarah sits up, isn't that the shot in the yes. mirror where Frank Silva's creeping? Yes. Yeah, that's the one. So almost like Lynch had to intuitively, go goes, because you don't normally want to have mirrors on a set, right? Because they're going to catch all the, the production. But he's like, put it up there. I don't know why. And the reason why is because he needed to find that mystery killer in the mirror. That So it was like an intuitive thing that that was how it happened. It was serendipitous. Yeah. Because he knew
1: from the beginning that when they were shooting in the Palmer House that Uh, Frank Silva was the set decorator. He was in Laura's room and they were going to shoot in there and Lynch Lynch was like on the ground, like probably putting dust bunnies under like a radiator or something, uh, which he liked to do. Uh, And uh, he heard someone say, hey, Frank, uh, don't get stuck in Laura's room. We're going to be shooting in there. And that popped the image in, uh, in Lynch's head of like Frank Silva in Laura's room. And he asked Frank Silva if he was an actor and, of course, Frank Silva goes, well, as a matter of fact, I am an actor. <laughs> <laughs> but of course See, Looking of, at Frank Silva, how could you not just immediately cast him? I know, right? So he had Frank Silva, like, crouched down at the end of Laura's bed, and he just did a pan. And he goes, I had no idea what it was going to be used for. But when they shot later that night, I believe, the scene of uh, Sarah going through the moments of the day before, or the earlier that day in her head, and... They pull back when she rises and screams. The image of Frank Silva was in the mirror. Lynch was like, brilliant, cut, great, we got it. And the camera operator said, no, 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 someone's reflection was in the mirror. And Lynch goes, who? And they go, what well, was Frank? And then he, he immediately thought of Frank trapped in the room, the scene that he shot, he goes, bingo. That was it. And
0: that was the development of Killer Bob. And so is he actually, did they say re- reshoot it and have him to cut out of this one? Or is he still in this one? He's still in it. Yes, they kept yes. it. I never noticed yeah, that. Yeah. Did you? Well, not until yesterday. I thought I was like, ooh, he <laughs> like, he's actually I mean, in it there. It took you 30 yeah. years to figure yeah, 30 that
1: years out? 30 years later,
0: I never actually it was actually... I thought they were like, <laughs> like cut, cut, Frank, cut it, redo. And then they put him in later, but uh, they keep him in there. No, and that so, was the mistake take. Isn't that that's brilliant? That's great. Yeah, and he's standing right there, looking, looming down on her. Instead of Sarah
1: seeing the gloved hand remove the necklace. It cuts to that shot that Lynch did of Frank Silva in Laura's room, crouching behind her bed. And then it goes to Leland calling Lucy, looking for Sheriff Truman. And Lucy's like doing paddleball,
0: Yeah. And Andy's playing the trumpet. I was With- thinking like, perhaps that uh, that's like symbolic for the upcoming sex they're about to have. Remember she was like, we're not going to be able to have the yeah. love. She's dressed up in lingerie. Paddleball, ball preparing and, for sex and andy Just had maybe. one of
1: his uh, pants leg rolled up to his knee <laughs> i
0: don't know what that's about yeah yeah
1: it kind of reminded me of remember hawk during the uh, excuse me during the rock rock tossing scene
0: do you remember hawk holding the pail yes with the oven mittens yes yeah, mitts. that's when my dad goes i am stopping watching this show boy <laughs> oven mitts what is going on throwing rocks little men in red rooms that was, this, that was the season, he, my dad was even into it until then, oh dude we forgot to mention this, like when they're in oh. the jail cell the, the Bobby in the jail cell barking at James, this is also when I was like okay this is the best, this is the best scene that Bobby had done in the entire pilot I thought it was menacing and awesome the camera angle was great and he, James is like a little dog like in the corner it looks like your dog Bruce when he's <laughs> shivering I thought that was fantastic and then they do later like slow motion, don't they have a like slow mo- slow it down i
1: think when he when they're doing the hoo, 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 they're doing the dog noises i think lynch uses like four different sound cues so there's like four different intonations of their barking and it, and it finally culminates into like the, you know bobby like screaming and the look on his face while he's staring at his james teeth. the teeth on the teeth yeah and then before that he goes when you least expect, expect it. it yeah
0: james hurley he's an easy rider that's great. Great line. He's an easy rider. That's a great fucking line. So in
1: the International Pilot, Leland calls uh, Lucy and they have Hawk come over and sketch Killer Bob. And simultaneously, the one our man calls Cooper while he's dreaming or sleeping, wakes him up and tells him that he's got information related to the Teresa Banks murder. And he mentions the... Uh, the red thread and the stitches, which made me think of yeah, Lil. About Remember, that. Lil yeah, had the, yeah. uh, which was code for drugs. Yeah. And uh, so Cooper then says, and then he gets the call from Lucy about uh, Sarah's vision. Because okay, she and, goes like,
0: Agent Cooper, guess what? He's like, what? Tell me. Like, yeah, he's like she's, he know. makes her she makes him go what what is it what is it? But he uses <laughs> the
1: he says the line of when two separate events happen simultaneously we must always pay strict attention. And they
0: used it later on in what episode? Uh, That was, God, what episode
1: was that? Gentlemen, when two separate events occur simultaneously pertaining to the same object of inquiry, we must always pay strict attention. So they obviously, they wrote that line there and they reused it because it was so good. And then they go to the hospital and that's where we have the fire walk with me poem and You know, Mike talks about cutting off his arm. So Lynch basically used a lot of this footage for the dream sequence in episode two. But what is happening here is that Lynch and Frost were contractually uh, obligated to film an ending for this pilot for the international audience because they were gonna show it as a film. So they had to come up with a killer. And I think because of the serendipitous moment with Frank Silva,
0: they used him you and think it would have been Mike? It would have been uh, Wonder Man if it hadn't, they hadn't discovered Frank Silva? I don't know. It's a good question. It might have been, yeah. But they, He was scary. In the, yeah. He was
1: great. But to just on the fly to come up with that character or those characters, the Fire Walk With Me poem, and the candles, and Catch You With My Death Bag. You may think I've gone insane, but I promise I will kill again. And then ultimately the Red Room. I mean, it was... Amazing. Twin Peaks was meant to be... A landmark event I mean the stars were aligning somehow to help Lynch and Frost with what they've already created which I thought was brilliant to begin with that this was a special
0: uh, narrative this was a special show didn't they just uh, I saw something on Twitter today where Lynch was like as soon as I visualized the Red Room that I knew that was the moment when I created the Red Room maybe he was talking about the end of the season two but like that that was he knew that he was going to be able to like make a whole franchise out of this the
1: red room was his key well i think that lynch loves the red room just as much as anything in twin peaks and i think that um you know he loves curtains i think he loves the mystery of it i think you know the floor design which was in Eraserhead. head there's just something about that red room and how he got that image was he was they think they were outside editing taking a smoke break or something and he leaned up against a hot red car and he put his hand on the hood or whatever and it was very warm and he said that whole image came to him at that moment i just think all these the like, moments of uh of uh, serendipity it's almost like twin
0: peaks wanted to be and lynch and frost were the conduits thank you the yes. conduits and he was able to trust his instincts and his intuition and go into this whole show not really knowing how it was going to end or where it was going to lead but he knew there was going to be strange and wonderful and it worked out he could have had a bad day a really horrible headache one day not leaning on that car and it wouldn't have come to him, but it <laughs> right. did. Could have been like the green ring. I like Cooper's last line when he or when he busts when they uh, like when the one armed man shoots uh, Bob in slow motion, and then Cooper does like make a wish and the lights go out. I like that. That
1: was just good. so evocative and uh, moody, and just to have that closed ending. But that's all Twin Peaks ever was. I still think we'd be talking about it, but the fact that we got you know, 30 more episodes and then a season three and fire walk with me. it, it, you know, it's, it makes me think of something that Frost said recently in a a podcast, if there's going to be future Twin Peaks, he goes, well, you know, he's not going to go there, but just look at what we have. We've got over 50 hours of content. We've got these books that he's written. We have so much. I mean, we've spent two plus years talking about, you know, almost exclusively season three. And here we are really just diving into the first season uh, we've talked a little bit about some of uh, Lynch's other movies, Fire Walk With Me. But uh, there's just so much to digest. And this show, and the reason why we're doing this is because Twin Peaks, unlike any other show, at least for me, has resonated more than anything. And it's a big Columbo part. for me as well, Columbo. You love Columbo. But Twin Peaks... Uh, it just there's something about it. it was blue velvet watching that as a as a 14 year old kid it connected to you know it connected with me it resonated with me and and the fact that twin peaks evokes blue velvet in a lot of ways it was like you know it was it was kismet it was like i was cooked immediately and here i am 30 years later still discussing it and still You'll unt- be discussing it 30 years from now now the pilot is not my favorite Twin Peaks episode. We love the second season premiere. I love all. That's the, the one I choose as
0: the best second season. I
1: think that one, uh, marries what he does in the pilot, and adding the supernatural element, which had really not come to fruition previously in the first season, which we, you know Frost was mostly the showrunner. Lynch was off shooting Wild at Heart. We did we got little subtle moments: the dream, Sarah seeing Bob, the vision. Uh, we got some moments there, but. Really, I think that second season premiere married that supernatural for what was to come with, you know, Winemere and Owl Cave and the Black Lodge, Bob, the White Lodge. Bob,
0: Yeah. Well, Bob. dude, that was it. After we watched that, uh, our, the first season on tape in September of 90, I guess it was, or 91. I think it was 90, but... Uh, 90. And so we went straight into season two, episode one. And I was like, holy... Sh-, that that was when my... The doors got blown off. And I was like, I am absolutely obsessed with this show. Because that was really the peak. Well don't you think though yeah. that the first season
1: really was you know, as a self contained season of only seven hours and the pilot, there really wasn't a false note in it. It was pretty it was so perfect because it stuck with the main characters and they all had their plot threads and it was all pretty much related to Laura. Only during the second season, I think after Lynch's second directed episode, that it started to branch off into other plot threads, which it had to do eventually, but I think it lost some of that innocence of, the, of, of, of discovering the show. And uh, even though I loved it all, I, I, I'll go down and say that the first season of Twin Peaks is pretty much perfect television. And the second season is filled with a lot of perfection, but uh, there was no way they could sustain it over 22 hours, especially with, I think, Lynch and Frost being distracted by other projects.
0: Yeah, for me, it's the last episode of season one and then the first episode of season two. Those two right there, even though that was direct, the finale of season one was like, was it directed by Frost? Or yeah, he was, which Lynch doesn't like that. I thought (laughs) it was great. (laughs) And those two right there is the reason why I am still doing a podcast 30 years later, because I was absolutely hooked and mesmerized and uh, still am today. Although I hope we're not doing this ten more years, thirty more years from now, or six years from now, we'll have to well, we're, something else to do.
1: We're kind of wrapping things up. I just want to mention that uh, I'm no longer on Facebook. For anyone who follows us on Facebook, I made a personal decision to, to get off of Facebook so. because Russian
0: Russian bots sucker <laughs> <Zuckerberg.
1: laughs> But uh, I'm still on Twitter. So if anyone wants to uh, follow us on Twitter or you know talk to us or see what we're doing, Twitter is the place. And then of course you can always email us uh, as well, but uh, we're going to be doing the part 18 finale um, of season three next, which, you know, might be a month or two away. Um, and then after that, I think we're, we're going to take some time <laughs> off or whatever, but uh, hopefully we'll get an uh, announcement of season four. That would change the whole uh, paradigm of our, our future podcasting.
0: We're, we're bearing the torch. We're one of the torch that Mark Frost is happy. Uh, kept brought season three back and we'll continue to keep our uh, torch fires lit and we'll see what comes of it. Until then, see you next time.